This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Air Force's pitch days have become so popular that several of the squadrons are borrowing the idea. The squadrons have good reason to expand this approach to attracting new and different companies. About 80% of all participants in the pitch days are non-traditional defense contractors. Major General Cameron Holt is Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Air Force for Contracting. He tells Executive Editor Jason Miller why he was not surprised by the number of new contractors participating in the pitch day approach. We're hoping for those kinds of returns because, after all, the idea of Air Force pitch days is precisely for that purpose. You know, a lot is said about government contracting and the barriers being so high. And in fact, many venture capital firms will be very open with young tech startups in America and tell them, if your business model includes doing business with DOD, then we will not back you as venture capitalists because the cash flows are too long, the time period's too long, the processes are too hard. And what we recognized is when you're ninjas in acquisition and in contracting, we can actually take uh, all the existing laws, all the regulations, and hack them in a way that shows and proves that we can lower the barriers to entry. So we are reaching out again to American business and to tech startups. And after all, you know, the Air Force leading such an effort makes sense, right? Because the Air Force, as the youngest service of all of the military, our success has been integrally tied with U.S. In industry and innovation. And so what we wanted to do was put a giant calling card on the table to not say that we're going to do it, but actually do it. And the thing about the pitch days that was really impressive, and maybe I just hadn't heard about this before, but you didn't go outside the FAR, you didn't do anything except for what are the rules and let's follow them. And I think too often people say there's too many rules. I mean, I think what, there's 2,000 pages in the FAR and people go, you can't do it. When we all know the, the rule of thumb is if it doesn't say you can't, you can, but right. you have to deal with the risk aversion. The FAR really has never stopped me from doing anything that I wanted to do for the Air Force uh, the whole time growing up. So I, I feel like we should get you to repeat that, right? It, the FAR yeah. has never stopped you from doing it. It really hasn't. Yeah. It really hasn't. Having said that, that kind of system was born of the Cold War, and it served us well in the Cold War. But here is the fallacy. In the Cold War, the, the underlying assumptions in the FAR system are that when I, as the government, put out a solicitation, everybody's listening. And that the most innovative companies in America and the most innovative tech is all military. Well, in the 1980s, that was true. Today, that is absolutely not the case. And in fact, when I put out something in FedBizOps, uh, very few people are listening in America. And so we needed to find a way to lower the barriers to entry uh, to, to make it accessible to all. Th that is just a one piece of a broader strategy you talked about this morning, the level of effort that, that kind of focused on, on one piece of it. Walk me through some of the other pieces and how they all kind of come together to form the Air Force strategy. Just to finish up on the pitch day idea, when you lower the barriers to entry, but you still have all of the laws and the regulations to follow, it is true that we have to work very, very hard to make it look that easy. Um, in fact, a lot of people don't know that we got a protest before our first pitch day. But because our contracting ninjas did such a great job with the process and documenting it, it was dispatched within one day. And, and that's a great story. I actually tweeted that out because I think that's one of the success stories that people don't realize is that when you do something different, if you have all your, 
you know, T's crossed and your I's dotted, GAO is pretty quick to be like, this has no standing, this has no basis, let's move on, and it can get you to your next thing, which is, in your case, let's get this pitch day going. Absolutely. You asked about the broader picture. My boss, Dr. Roper, is really shaking up Air Force acquisition and challenging our thinking, challenging industry's thinking, and all for the right reason, because of the national defense strategy uh, and really gaining a foothold in this great power competition that we find ourselves in. And, and that's very important. And so you asked about the full range of, of initiatives. You know, the why, of course, is great power competition. Is China a threat? Is China an, an economic partner and opportunity? The answer is yes to all those things. And so as we look at that, we want to, obviously, we've talked about pitch days. We want to um, increase the defense industrial base and reach out to the most innovative startup companies in America. But that's not all we want to do. We also want to partner with our tradition, more traditional partners uh, and some of the large contractors, defense contractors that have partnered with us forever. But we want to do that in new ways that challenge their thinking as well. Uh, my boss talks about the holy trinity of acquisition, digital engineering, open systems architecture, and agile software. And he studied up a lot about the automotive industry and how Tesla was able to break into that market and make for more robust competition, which is healthy. We want that same dynamic to affect the defense industrial base. And in contracting, we're looking at that and saying, all right, as contracting ninjas, how can we take all the rules and the regulations and statutes and come up with innovative thoughts that enable all of that to happen? And you see that happening all across uh, the Air Force. Kessel Run, Space Camp, Kobayashi Maru, uh, AFWorks, you see all of those what I call cool kid organizations emerging, but with a closed loop back to the main workforce so that you see like pitch days now, everybody in the Air Force is doing them. There's 15 on the weapon systems acquisition side that I'm aware of, and there's even four that I'm aware of in the operational Air Force at, at the wing level even and embracing that. So we need to start competing in the capital markets. We need to start competing in the state-of-the-art technology to include that holy trinity of acquisition I mentioned. And we need to start inviting smart engineers back into the defense industrial base and, and the most innovative companies that can take us where we need to go. Do you get a sense that the reason why these pitch days are successful, the reason why you have these quote-unquote cool kids, that the, the, the Kessel Runs and all, is because DOD somewhere, and, and maybe the Air Force you can only speak to, lost something or, or fell behind in some way? Because one would argue majority of the technology innovations is still coming from the U.S. The majority of, of the technology innovation still comes from a government source, whether it's government funding or in a lab somewhere that then gets commercialized in some way. And so it's, they're not necessarily coming from foreign companies. There are some, obviously, but what is the impetus to make these more successful? What's the recognition? Well, first of all, Jason, I have to, I have to disagree with your premise. Please do. So to make the statement that most of the innovation in America comes from the defense sector first, I think if you would have asked somebody that on the street in the 1980s, they would have agreed with that statement. I would not agree with that statement today. Uh, so I, just to be, let me clarify, it comes from the government. I don't think that's true either. 
I think that if you look at the number, and maybe I'm wrong, so you probably have a better handle on the, the numbers, but, but my understanding, I thought, was that the R&D that the government puts out there that pays for it, right? It could be SBIR, it could be R&D through the private sector, but you're saying not anymore. I disagree. Right. Uh, in fact, I think that, you know, I don't know what the numbers are uh, right off the top of my head, but if you look at the amount of R&D investment that is in the private sector, it dwarfs the amount of public R&D funding. And, and in the defense sector, it's even more stark. And, and even a lot of our traditional defense par partners who they invest something called independent research and development funds, sure. they make those decisions on their own. But guess what? The government reimburses them 100% for all those dollars. And still those dollars are not as high as what you see in the private sector. Now, we can complain about that or we can embrace it. And in fact, we want to embrace it as an Air Force. We want to go out and get dual use tech. We fully embrace it, like in our pitch days, in our evaluations. These folks actually have to show that there's a commercial marketplace for this technology and not just a military uh, marketplace as well. So we're embracing this new approach and we're gonna leverage it to the fullest extent. What's one example of flipping that script that comes to mind or something that you guys are doing or plan to do, whether it's now or in the near future? I just actually finished with our board of directors, my uh, contracting board of directors last week, and we set our key results for calendar year 20. And we have in the Air Force a smart IP cadre, intellectual property cadre. And for the first time, we have now integrated all of that thinking in with mission-focused business leadership. And we are going to be looking at coming up with tools that PEOs and, and other leaders can use in their acquisition strategies that make that flipping the business model a reality. Um, I'll give you a couple of examples of things that we might be thinking about. So for example, if you had to compete for a development and production program, but as part of the criteria, you had to prove to us that you could transition it to 100% organic maintenance and upgrade after after production is over. That might change your thinking a little bit about buying in on the front end. That behavior of buying in on the front end where companies add their own funding in some cases to the development uh, because they think it'll make them more competitive for a very long program actually makes it much more likely that we'll have friction not only in the execution of that program but in intellectual property and other issues. In addition to that, and again this is just thinking that we're doing, we'll get industry involvement in this as well. But if in addition to that, we said, as part of cost realism analysis to win development or production, you have to show us 100% cost realism without your funding. And what if we said on top of that, with the profit you would make out of the contract type, plus the incentives we have in the program, you have to prove to us you can make a minimum profit in development and production. So if we can make it profitable for industry upfront, then I think we have a really good shot at flipping the business model so that there's not buying in behaviors and we get our really great engineers working in development and production and in fact incentivizing IRAD investments even before they finish producing the current uh, programs. Major General Cameron Holt is Deputy Assistant Secretary for Contracting in the Office of the Assistant Secretary of the Air Force for Acquisition, Technology and Logistics. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. 
Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. A financial plan isn't just about money. It's about what matters most to you, like protecting your family, supporting your community, and building a legacy for future generations. At Northwestern Mutual, we start with a conversation about the life you want to live now and years from now. Whether you're paying down debt, saving for college, or planning for retirement, we have an eye on your bigger picture. Get access to our financial expertise at harlem.nm.com. The Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, headquartered in Milwaukee, Wisconsin.